welcome to the Upsiders podcast, where we unpack what it takes to become an influencer. Not a bikini-clad, selfie-taking Instagrammer, but an influencer in the true sense of the word. Someone who's an expert in their chosen field, a leader in business, someone who's built a trusted community and inspires others to take action. My name's Victoria Jones, and I'm founder of leading influencer marketing agency, The Upsiders. Through this podcast, I want to equip you with the knowledge needed to take your own business to the next level, build your brand, and fast-track your entrepreneurial journey. I'll be interviewing the world's most successful business leaders, innovators, and influencers. We'll delve deep into how they kick-started their business, became an expert in their field, and reveal what it takes to succeed. I'm really excited to be interviewing Upsiders Talent and Australia's top food blogger, Nagi from Recipe to Neats, who's going to be talking about the business of blogging. I've been working with Nagi for over three years, and in that time I've seen her grow her recipe blog to over 7 million unique users a month. She is now the number one food site in Australia and earns over seven figures from advertising and sponsorships. What's most impressive about Nagi is her dedication to her highly engaged audience, whom she treats as friends. She produces easy-to-follow home-cooked recipes, which she tests at least five times to ensure even the most amateur of cooks can make something delicious, and I can vouch for that, and her unwavering integrity when it comes to choosing which brands to collaborate with. She embodies what it means to be authentic and stays true to her values. I think on that note, Nagi, I've asked you to work with a few brands that have had big, big budgets to spend and few to be an ambassador, but if they don't have, share your values or they don't um, have the right ethics, you will say no. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's fair to say we have had a few different approaches, haven't we, Vic? And unfortunately... Um, you know, if it's not something that I use in my day-to-day life or uh, something that I would be happy to use, then I don't even give it a look, to be honest. It's just money doesn't even come into it, not a factor at all. Yeah, and it's staying true to your values, is that it? And the authenticity yeah, that's as exactly, well? Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, I get called out on it. I have definitely worked with brands that some of my followers have thought, oh, it's not what we thought Nagi would do or it's not within the kind of food she normally does and and people they're very very vocal about it so if you do work with a brand that's not within your ethics and your principles then people aren't shy anymore they'll they'll call you out on it yeah what did people think about the Tim Tam one because I know recently you did a Tim Tam slam and did a video of yourself eating a Tim Tam which I think well I thought was hilarious they loved it they loved it and I think I think you and I were both a little bit, oh, is it too left field? I don't do packaged goods. I don't do sweets like that. But the reason why I wanted to do it is because, I mean, I am the queen of the Tim Tam Slam. I always have been. And I wanted to show it how to do it to my followers. And they loved it. And it was fun. It was really, really fun. Yeah. So you must have eaten a, good a lot one. of chocolate biscuits. Doing I, I don't even want to tell you how many Tim Tams I went through. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the beginning, you haven't always been a food blogger have you You had a high-flying career in finance well I don't know about high-flying but (laughs) my background is um corporate finance so I started as a chartered accountant and then I moved into corporate finance so um I was the second in charge of a global property construction company in the finance division um and I did I traveled the world and had um offices in most continents in the world, actually. but um, And I loved my job. I really, really did love my job. And it was 
very stressful and there was a lot of international travel and office politics and everything that comes with big business. Um, but I genuinely did love my job and I love the people I work with. But to me, the main thing was I always wanted to do something for myself. So up until this time when I started my food blog, I was always working for someone else. And I just so wanted you always to wanted to be an entrepreneur and have your own... Yeah, control my own destiny, I guess, and the fact that I was able to do it in a field that I genuinely am so passionate about is an added bonus. And I, I count myself as very lucky because, you know, we spend a lot of our times at work. So being able to work in a field that you genuinely love, I, I'm very, very lucky. And do you think that's the key to the success as well as finding something you're super passionate about and pursuing that? Do you think that's what's made you so successful? I think it's definitely a factor because you don't, because so much of your own personality is on a, on my blog, so much of my personality is on my blog and my social media accounts, if you're not genuinely enthusiastic and you don't genuinely love what you do, then people can smell smell fakeness nowadays. You know, there's the true enthusiasm shines through and it will win every time in the run and were you initially scared to put your voice out there and scared to you know just to, to lots of people were quite frightened to actually put put yourself out, out yeah there. absolutely in my early days my all my writing was very very impersonal and very much just about the food and it probably took me a good 12 to 18 months before I started putting my own personality out there and um, I don't I don't talk so much about my real personal life and the traumas and things like that that happen but I definitely connect with people on a personal level because I treat them as my friend so but it, it took me a long time to come out of my shelf and even you know what even putting your photo of your face online that's a step. <laughs> yeah. That's a big step. You have to get past it. Trust me, I have many friends who refuse to have an internet presence. So, um, yeah. yeah, it did. It took me a while. Well, people, so you found people resonate a lot more when you start sharing. Oh, definitely. Things. Definitely. There's no doubt, and I see it every day on social media, some of the fastest growing social media accounts are the ones that truly open themselves out and are completely raw on their accounts. And I'm not as open as that. But I'm genuine in, in my enthusiasm of what I share. But um, there's absolutely no doubt, no one can deny that the more open you are, the more people will connect with you. And even your dog, you've got Dozer, has now got a personality on your blog as well, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. I mean, how can you resist golden furball like Dozer? <laughs> <laughs> and did you, when you were starting out, did you have a clear plan? Did you say, right, I'm going to quit my um, corporate job and then go straight to the blog? Were you building it up slowly? How did you transition from the corporate world corporate. into running your own show? Well, with, with my food blog, it actually started out as, um, as sort of a side project, to be honest. So I, I had another project which was called Recipes and it was a, it was a um, recipe manager app for iPhone. And, you know, the whole business model was flawed, frankly, so that was a failed project. So don't think that I've just left corporate and then just – you know, had this amazing success first go with a blog. It wasn't at all. I, blood, sweat and tears went into this app and um, it, it was a flop. And the website was a means. It started out as a means for me to um, distribute the app, basically. Yeah. Um, but once I started doing due diligence and researching into 
what a food blog actually... I didn't even know what a food blog was, to be honest, when I first started. And I was like, what is this blog business? Who blogs? Like, <laughs> what are these recipe blog Food blog? Like, who's a food blogger? You know, I had no I idea what it was. making money from it as well. Yeah, then I found that people were making, you know, a couple of grand a month on it. And I was like, whoa, what is this thing? <laughs> so the more research I did, I was fascinated to learn that, you know, it was a time... So this was in 2014, and I was fascinated to see that there is actually a growing, genuine, structured industry developing around this concept of blogs, whether it's food blogs or investing blogs or lifestyle blogs. There were so many different types. And um, so I did a lot of research and I created a plan and started the blog and tried to follow that plan. And do you remember trying to get your first readers, like that first sort of, you know, you put it out there and then... Yeah, Hope someone was, responds or engages with you. It's oh, I'll tell you what. When two people visited my site, I was so excited. I, I cannot tell you. I was jumping up and down. I was like, "Whoa, two people have looked at my website." <laughs> then my mother rang, and I found out it was her and my sister. So <laughs> my first two visitors, there you go, it was my mum and my sister. So it is. It is. When you first start, it's it's so nerve wracking almost. So you publish your very first recipe, and to think that a hundred people in this world are reading your recipe and possibly using it. And nowadays it'll be a new recipe, you know, 20,000 people will look at it, you know, within 12 hours of publishing it. And that's even scarier. (laughs) I'm still scared. And to be honest, I've been doing this four and a half years and I still get so nervous when I hit that publish button. And even sitting here now, a new post is about to go live and I'm getting you know, I'm just thinking, oh, as soon as I get out of here, I've got to check that post and make sure it's right and make sure I haven't made a mistake in it. And oh, good to so. hear you're still, um, still humble and still, yeah, still care so much about what people are going to engage with and if they're going to find it useful as well. Yeah, and making sure the recipe works. Yeah. Well, you test them five times. I know I said that in the beginning. That's true, isn't it? You yeah. Test well, each one the minimum. minimum three, minimum mm. three. So some things, oh, there have been some things I've tested over 10, 15 times. I don't even want to think about how many muffins I've made this year. Um, but, yeah, one of my biggest fears is recipes that don't work because I just think about I – think, I think of myself as very fortunate. I'm in a fairly comfortable position where I can afford to have a, something fail on me. But there are people in this world who literally are on such a tight budget. And I grew up in a, in a you know, household with, where we had severe budget constraints. You know, we were very poor – but there are people in this world where it's a splurge to have a chicken breast once a week. And yeah. if they use my recipe, I don't want them to fail. It's tragic. To the, it really, that's what I always bear in mind. So that's know. one of your key things, make it yeah, foolproof absolutely, for people. Absolutely, absolutely. It's devastating. I mean, a chicken breast, it doesn't sound like very much for you or I, but, you know, you go and spend $100 on a standing rib, you don't <laughs> yeah. want that to fail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then how did you grow your audience so quickly? I know you have a strategy behind everything you do, but you've really grown that, you know, within a mm. year you were getting a million, two million, weren't you, visitors yeah. to your site a month. How did you I grow I think I was that? at about a million in eight months, I think it was. Um, so for me it was a two-pronged strategy and the first prong was the more important than the second one. The first prong was this concept of building a blog that people would actually come back to and use as a recipe book, if you like, like an online recipe book. Yeah. Um, I find that even back when I started, you know, four, four, four years ago now, there was still very much um, 
Very much. And it's easy to slip into the habit of making things that you think will go viral. So a lot of people were doing crazy things, basically anything with a cheese pool, anything red velvet, French toast, churros, you know, very, very obvious Food things. Porn things. Exactly. Pizza, creamy pastas. It's so obvious what can go viral, the types of foods that can go viral. And I was determined not to slip into that that trap of just making a food blog where you're basically, you know, it's it's shooting blindly, to be honest, and just creating recipes for the sake of hopefully going viral. So I decided to take a more structured approach and say, okay, if I was going to buy a cookbook, then what recipes would I want in that cookbook? And I wrote a list of recipes and I started progressively going through it. And even though it sounds they were all quite not boring, but, you know, they were staple recipes and I was just explaining how I made a stir-fry and how I, what my stir-fry sauce was and things like that. Um, and then every now and then, my second prong strategy, which is to throw in a viral potential recipe every now and then, maybe once a month, maybe once every two months. And as those recipes would get a bit of traction on social media or, or the internet or wherever it was, um, then people would land on my site through those viral recipes. And I think the big thing for me was that I would capture that flush of traffic from the traffic spike from those viral recipes, but people would stay because of those core recipes I have, if yeah. that makes sense. So that essentially was um, my strategy from day one and I guess it worked. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd say to people that want to grow their audience and start building it, you know, what are you offering your readers? Is that the the question you'd ask or what are you, what, you know, great information are you providing? Is that the advice you'd give to other people? To other people who want to build a, so whether you're a blogger or whether you're a business, the number one thing I always say to people is you've got to make it clear what your website is about. And for a food blog, the number one thing is when a new visitor lands on your site for the first time, no matter what page they land on, can they tell straight away what kind of recipes you've got and what you're about and, you know, whether they want to look at other recipes and whether they want to sign up to your newsletter or bookmark you or whatever it is, you need to make that clear straight away because people are time poor now. They're not yeah. going to spend half an hour browsing through your recipe catalogue to sort of try to figure out what kind of recipes you do. They need to know within, I think the rule is the five-second rule, that's what they say. So yeah. um, you need to make it really clear from, from the outset. And from the outset, you're, you know, lots of people say you've got to solve a problem for your customers or have a strong niche. So from the outset, was your niche home-cooked recipes, easy-to-follow home-cooked recipes? Yeah, so um, I think I'm, I'm in a position now where I can have a quite a broad niche where quick and easy is de- – definitely quick and easy is my niche, but uh, I guess I've built a bit of a brand now so I can do more complicated recipes and – I can throw in a salad here and there and it still does very well. Um, But I started out very much. So my first niche actually was stir fries. So I started creating these ultimate stir fry guide. I had um, an all purpose stir fry sauce and I created these formulas for people to follow to make a stir fry using anything you've got. And, you know, saying using one cup of meat, three cups of vegetables, two tablespoons of the sauce, all these extra add-ins, you know, like a formula essentially. And I did a whole bunch of those. I did it for stir fries, then I moved on to pasta, then I moved on to salads, marinades. Um, And so I guess my niche at the beginning was very much about helping people make dinner with whatever you had in your pantry. 
And I did that for about four or five months. And then I moved more into the quick and easy dinners. I had this whole series around 15-minute meals, but not where you throw a can of condensed soup in with some, you know, (laughs) some (laughs) pasta and call that dinner. You know, it was genuinely 15-minute meals that um, a normal person can make with real ingredients yeah not even Jamie Oliver his are definitely more like hour-long meals I think (laughs) exactly so mine were genuinely 15 minute meals and the little gems that uh, exist in Asian cooking for example that uh, ordinary people might not know about so you know the Chinese corn soup that's genuinely a 15 minute meal that's so simple to make um and people just didn't know how easy it was so I kind of had Within a broader niche of quick and easy, I had these little niches focused and I, I progressively moved through them one by one. So, And has that helped with SEO? Have you really built oh, a definitely. lot of search traffic? Definitely. So SEO up? is my number one traffic. So out of my, I think this month or last month, we hit 8 million and 85% of it was SEO. Oh no, 80% of it was SEO. So it, it definitely helps, definitely helps. And you still obviously, you've grown a big social audience as well and do you see that as more a branding thing as opposed to driving traffic to your to your blog um on instagram definitely it's about branding because i don't really care about the click-throughs to be honest uh the the click-throughs are just so low i don't even bother striving for it i just focus on building my instagram audience so i treat that as a mini blog if that makes sense uh with facebook it is much more about getting the traffic to the website so Facebook just moves too fast and there's just too much volume and less engagement. So the with that one, constantly changing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. So with that one, it's very much about just trying to flush traffic through to my site. And I know video has become a big thing because I remember when we started working together, you didn't do as much video and then that, lots it's of true. brands were asking video oh. content and then I didn't you know, do anything I didn't yeah. do any videos when we first met didn't no it, did and I? now you right. I remember saying to you that's what people want on the brand side and then next thing you know you YouTube's got 16,000 subscribers oh, YouTube I mean, is nothing <laughs> still my YouTube engagement. is nothing so <laughs> the videos yeah. that's really helped um with your entire brand hasn't it the actual you know learning how to do video content and producing definitely. it definitely that is the reason why i grew instagram and facebook to where it is today so and you taught yourself as well didn't you you upskilled in there's no taught... courses there is no courses <laughs> so you've just taught self-taught in pictures and video did you do it all yeah because your... there's not again no well there are some photography food photography courses but what i found is that the real professional food photographers they the way they shoot is a completely different caliber. They will take, you know, in a day, they might literally take five photos that get printed in a magazine. Whereas I would take 25, 30 photos in a day that end up on my blog or in social media. So, you know, the, the, it's just a completely different world out there. So, yeah. Yeah. And then when did you start to monetize? Did you, did you sort of have a plan that right? I can start monetizing now through advertising and to actually start making money from what was essentially a passion at the beginning. Yeah, I always knew that um, monetizing through ads was going to be based on traffic, so I just was waiting for a certain level of traffic. Uh, With sponsored posts, I didn't start sponsored posts until I hit well over a million, maybe 1.5 million or 1.2 million. 
um, just because I didn't think it was worth taking a $300 job and putting posts on my blog for that amount of money with low traffic. So I thought I'll just hold out yeah. until it was worth my while, worth the brand's while. And, um, yeah, so that was the sponsor post. And then, um, oh, ebooks, that's it. Once I got to a certain standard with photography and other bloggers were asking me how I'd self-taught um, the food photography, I put together a little guide and decided to sell it. And that's doing pretty well. It's a couple and of grand a month. So, And that's an ongoing, yeah. you do it once and then. That's right. Keep... I think it's three years old now and I haven't touched it and it just, it's just money for nothing. So it's great. So, yeah. And in terms of brands, because I know we've worked together with some great brands, including Farmers Union, Lurpak, Woolworths, and smaller ones as well. So I know that mm. you really support local Australian businesses like Mangoes Australia and Bee Mead as well. You went down to the farm and learned how they made the Bee Mead as well. For anyone listening that doesn't know what Bee Mead is, it's a cross between cider and champagne. Well, that's how I think it tastes. It's a very unusual drink. Um, but it was a small, small family-run business, and Nagi chose to support them and promote them on the blog. You really take a lot of care with your brand partnerships, don't you? Do you see them as a? What sort of thought do you go into, and when you come to, comes to working with a brand? Well, I think first and foremost, it's just outright professionalism. I think if <laughs> someone is paying you for a service, then I think you've got to do a better job than I do for you know posts just. For myself. Um, secondly, though, in all honesty, I can tell you for a fact that readers of blogs hate sponsored posts. Sponsored posts generally have got a really bad reputation. So in America, this whole concept of brands working with food bloggers started um, really taking off maybe, actually it was already, it had already taken off when I started. So even four or five years ago. And because America, you know, the population is 10 times the size of Australia, they would fan out a job to say a hundred bloggers and pay them all three or four hundred dollars each to do a post around their their product, and so you'd get there were real quality problems. People were just punching out posts just for the sake of it. Slap on a photo of whatever canned soup you know was paying them a few hundred bucks to do a, a post for them. So there's you know this whole concept of food bloggers working with with brands got a really bad reputation. And I was really aware of that because I'd seen so much of it myself and I hated it. It just really brought down the quality of that website and, to be honest, my opinion of the person behind it, yeah. So I was so paranoid when I first started doing it um, that I would literally go out of my way to create content that was, you know, well above my normal standard and it got to the... In terms of the pictures or the both the story making it really genuine um the recipes I always kept to the same quality of recipes I did but I think it's more the effort that I would go to so the the main thing for me is coming up with a really good angle to make the product um authentically embed within that post and a story so I wouldn't just say you know oh here I'm making Greek chicken here use farmers union yogurt you don't do it like that you know you talk about how I've always used yogurt and it's true I've always used farmers in yogurt and I would talk about how you would never find my fridge without it and that's true genuinely true so it just the story flows and the photos flow so you kind of have a visual and a written um story leading up to the endorsement of that product yeah um I think the mangoes Australia is probably still my favorite um 
brand work, you know, partnership that we've had because I truly enjoyed going up there and the people are beautiful and it was just such a great story. And I think for me that was the turning point because I had readers actually say on that post, I normally hate reading sponsored posts on bloggers, but you just make it such a pleasure because I do go out of my way and I make it a full engaging story that people get drawn into. So to hear that people actually enjoy and they look forward to sponsored posts on a food blog, that set the bar for me. And so I will always go out of my way for brands. Yeah. And what would you say to brands? Because lots of brands can be very prescriptive when working with influencers saying that, you know, not giving them creative control or not actually listening to what works for the influencers audience. What would you say to those brands in terms of getting the, their right message out there? Um, well, for, with me personally, there's no point trying to prescribe how I pitch a product because I just won't do it if it doesn't feel natural to me because it just won't speak to my audience and you turn people off. So it actually is backfiring. <laughs> so the whole purpose is to promote your product. And if you're going to force someone to say something that they don't actually believe or fits with the way they work or their ethos or whatever it is, then there's no point because the people reading it will know that as well. So it's honestly, there's, there's no point. Yeah. And what about other ways brands can work with influencers? I I know that we've spoken about doing content, you know, acting as a production house for brands. Is that something Mm. that you think the industry is going to move towards or something that you think you'd like to do more of? In terms of producing content for brands and so media assets and yeah. recipes. So it's interesting you mentioned that because it's definitely a growing industry in America. So there's a handful of bloggers now who are presenting themselves as media production houses with the added value of the fact that they can create recipes and they know what good food is. So, you know, you think about it that way. It's an enormous value add because you're a one-stop shop. So if a brand comes to me, I can come up with a campaign idea that'll work with my distribution channel, create the recipe, photograph it, film it, and do the distribution to promote the product on my blog, which has got, you know, 8 million or 7 million readers, 8 million views a month. Uh, I think I'm at 2.2 million on Facebook now and 220,000 on Instagram. It's There are definitely people doing it in America already and definitely a field I would be interested in considering and exploring down the track yeah because do you think now it's moving away you know ad dollars now aren't being spent as much on tv and people as you say in the u.s they're using influencers a lot more what would you say to australian brands why spend with an influencer well firstly um if you spend it with an influencer with a website as well as social media accounts then I call it evergreen advertising. So every brand that's worked with me has got an ad effectively on my site that people on average spend eight minutes reading. So every time a brand works with me, they're reading, spending eight minutes reading about their product forever. So you spend it on a TV ad and it's done and dusted as soon as you stop spending the dollars. Um, So there's a big difference there, I think. The other thing is... With the influencers, you're not – They my, my followers, both on my website and on Instagram, I wouldn't say so much on Facebook, and I think that's with everyone generally. The trend is you don't consider Facebook people your friends anymore, if that makes sense. Um, but with Instagram and my website, they see you as your friends. So 
when I work with a brand and I'm endorsing their product, it's like it's like when your friend tells you where she got those fabulous flats from or, you know, the, this new champagne brand that she tried and she loves it so much. You're so much more likely to go and buy something and try something if someone you know has has referred you to it. Yeah, and, and, and that's ex- Absolutely. And that is exactly what I see myself as doing. It's just like you, Vic, recommending something to me. It's just I'm recommending something to, you know, a few million people, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have plans, you know, you're, you've got a global audience now. I know you do a lot of work in America as well, speaking over there. What are the plans for Recipe Tin Eats? Are you to take it even further across the globe? Is there a TV show in the works What's next? Oh, Vic, you're asking for all my secret plans for next year. <laughs> I could say you have to wait and see, but <laughs> no, you'll be seeing One a lot. Sneak peek. You will be seeing a lot more of me. There's definitely plans to get myself on the other side of the camera and um, essentially doing, yeah, a, whether it's a video series or a TV series, whether it's actually on a major channel or online, whatever it is, you will be seeing more of me. Right. <laughs> And just lastly, I'll end with our final five, which, um, yeah, just whatever springs to mind first up. Final five? I'm nervous. I'm nervous. (laughs) It's actually final six because there's another one I wanted to throw in. But I'll start with final five. Biggest challenge hurdle you've overcome? With my blog? Yeah. Oh, trying not to eat everything that I make. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. Everyone can relate to that. <laughs> a daily habit that helps you to stay motivated and focused. Oh, you're going to judge me with this one. My can of Diet Coke at noon every day. <laughs> <laughs> at least you didn't say whis- dis- whiskey in your coffee or something. That's Isn't fine. that disgraceful? <laughs> I'm a food blogger and I can't live without my Diet Coke. It's disgraceful. <laughs> uh, a mistake you've learned from in business or a mistake that you see other people make when they're starting out. Oh, that's the uh, first thing that springs to mind. Oh, don't follow the crowd. It's very, very easy. I think that's one of the first things I did. I was really mindful about not following the crowd, but it is hard to stay away from it because you do, you want, you're interested in whatever else is doing and it's easy to get sucked in and start doing what the so-called big bloggers are doing. But I think the fact that I didn't and I really had to force myself to pull away from it, I'd Literally, I know this sounds really immature, but I had to block them on social media so I wouldn't accidentally see what they were doing. And I really wanted to beat my own path. And I think that's the biggest mistake I see too often. I see people trying to copy other people and, you know, to an extent, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. But unfortunately, when you're trying to build something online, that's not a good thing. You need to build your own identity. Better to stay true to yourself. Absolutely. A good habit or skill to develop in business that you've developed? I know you've developed a lot of them. Good habit or in this particular industry or generally? In your, yeah, in your industry. Oh, a hard one. I can't choose one. I really can't choose one because, I mean, I think... Integrity, that's... With brand work, definitely. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think authenticity is probably quite hard it's actually quite hard I think for a lot of people because as I said it's easy to get sucked into 
what the crowd is doing or getting swept up into things that you know are doing well or or these whole concept of viral potential recipes. Um, but rather than rather than doing that, yeah, staying true to yourself and also saying no to brands that offer you a lot of money <laughs> to do <laughs> yeah. things that don't fit with what you do. That's you know, that's part of being authentic. And an influencer is dot dot dot. How would you finish that sentence? Because a lot of people use the term influencer now and I think it's almost starting to get a bad name because it's people define it by someone that might take a selfie or you know, they're not they're not genuinely being informative or sharing something entertaining or engaging with their audience. How would you define an influencer? So for me, I still don't even think of myself as an influencer because I can't get my head around that term. I re- and I really hate the term blogger <laughs> to me. But I guess if I was to turn around what I actually think that I do um, and put it as a definition, turn it into a definition of what an influencer is to me, I would say an influencer is someone who has a digital presence, whether it's on social media or a website, who has built up a group of friends, whether it is two or two million, who they genuinely can influence to do whatever it is, whether it's a product or something that they do or something they believe or advice, whatever it is, um, where there's enough of a true friendship because that's what it comes down to. If people don't trust the influencer or think that they're genuine, then they have no influence so they're not an influencer. Yeah. So for me, well I, I don't really think of myself as an influencer. I just think of myself as someone who has friends online and, you know, I recommend to them things that I recommend to my friends. So I think that's the way I think of it. Yeah. And lastly, this is a foodie question, so you'll like this. What would, but it would be a difficult one, I'm sure. What would be your last meal on earth? If you had to choose one meal, oh, what would it be? No, that's an easy one, unfortunately. My mother is going to disown me when I say this because I should say sushi. I think mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. We've got a whole plate of cheese here. So um, on that note, we'll finish and, yeah, get stuck in. Thanks, Nagi. Thanks, Vic. That was fun. Thanks for listening. If you want to turn your business dreams into reality and become the go-to expert in your industry like Nagi, then sign up for our weekly newsletter and get practical advice. You can start applying to your own brand or business today.